Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Okay, guys, so welcome back to a, another episode. Um, today, we're going to be discussing um, Demarius Thomas and Russell Wilson, their new contracts. Um, and then we're going to be talking about the Red Sox, kind of mostly Chris Sale, because what's going on currently right now uh, and the Yankees game. Uh, he was just taken out a few innings ago and how he did. And then we're going to be talking some Bruins, kind of uh, focusing on their game three. And then if we have a little bit of time, maybe I'll uh, – find some more would you rather for you guys or something but I'm not really sure we will so uh, we'll see when we we get to that but also yesterday I did an over an hour episode uh, it was a really fun episode I did it with Colin Thomas and a new special guest if you guys listen you would know but it hasn't got a lot of listens which makes sense it posted almost at midnight last night it took us a while to do we also did one on Thomas's channel break it down so that's why it took us a while so if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend you do we went kind of pretty in-depth, got into some good conversations on almost every team uh, and kind of what we predict their offseason will be and some moves they should try to make. Uh, it was it was actually really good. I enjoyed listening to it because I listened to it. Um, it was a good one, so I highly recommend you listen to that. Uh, no callers today. Again, Anchor Mobile app, please call in. So, um, yeah, we'll start with um, the Russell Wilson signing. So, yeah, let's get to that. Okay, so if you guys didn't know um, – Russell Wilson set a deadline for the Seahawks that at midnight by April 15th, he had to have a contract extension or he was gone. Basically, that's what I got. I read out of it. And Russell Wilson became the highest paid player in um, the NFL uh, with a four-year $140 million deal with a $65 million signing bonus. Now, at this point, when I hear these highest-paid players, I'm, like, not even shocked anymore. This is just how the league is. Egos take over. You'll have very elite players be like, no, I deserve to be the highest player. They're the highest-paid player for a little bit, and then someone else gets an extension, then free agency hits, and someone else is the new highest-paid player. It always changes, and even out of position. Overall, it's just every sport, just how it works, especially in the NBA and NFL. So Russell Wilson won't be there for long. Um, the Seahawks, it's a smart move by the Seahawks. Russell Wilson is at least a top eight quarterback and they, besides ha- uh, having a great fan base and a good coach, they have Bobby Wagner, um, uh, I guess like Frank Clark and there are even trade rumors for him. I guess Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, somehow they were the best rushing team. Really, they don't have a lot, but they're just a very well coached team that just overachieved last year. I'm not sure how they're going to do again, but they need Russell Wilson. Um, and again, their their cap space is a little tight anyway, but uh, there's also no trade clause on it. Um, this LA cap is a little tight. They're going to have to pay guys like Bobby Wagner, but they need Russell Wilson. If they don't have Russell Wilson, there's no shot they make the playoffs. And I don't even think the odds are great at the, the time being because, you know, I'm surprised they even made it last year. Uh, the 49ers may come back a little stronger. Uh, you know, maybe the Rams around the same, and then you have um, the Cardinals, which, I mean, probably will stay relatively the same anyway, but you never know. Uh, so we'll see what happens there, but 
you know, I, I didn't know. I actually, this was actually a report, I think, a few months ago. And it kind of reported by like Colin Coward one day, and it blew up for an hour. People were like, Russell Wilson might go to the Giants, and he might leave Seattle. And then everybody's like, oh, fake news, fake news, fake news. And I, I agreed that it was fake news, but a little part of me was just like, you know, maybe, I think there's still go, something going on. I think most people suspected that anyway. But overall, I did think it was fake news. And then also now it just kind of popped up again. It was very weird. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a smart move by the Seahawks. I mean, I don't know about Russell Wilson. You know, I, I don't think it's a bad move for Russell Wilson because, you know, this is where he's, you know, played. This is where he succeeded. If he – this is a place where he's thrived, succeeded. He's played well. He's lived for the past few years. <laughs> longer than a few years now and he gets a chance to become the highest paid player it makes sense why you'd say it makes sense why the Seattle Seahawks would pay him I don't think Russell Wilson should be the highest paid player in the NFL but I mean should Trent Brown be the highest paid offensive tackle ever no so uh you know that just happens I guess um it just happens so yeah I mean makes sense uh now we're gonna move on to the Demarius Thomas signing Okay, so today the New England Patriots have reportedly signed former Denver Broncos and Houston Texans wide receiver Demarius Thomas to a one-year $6 million deal. Demarius Thomas is a bigger receiver, a downfield threat, um, and the Celtics, uh, the Celtics, jeez, um, the Patriots needed that kind of big, bigger receiver, but I'm not sure Demarius Thomas was really the guy. Uh, here were Demarius Thomas's stats last year, uh, if you don't know, he is 31 years old, so 6'3", 229 pounds. That's a good size for a receiver. Uh, he's pretty big. Um, last year, overall, with Denver and Houston combined, he played 15 games, started them all, was targeted 89 times, caught 59 balls for 677 yards, uh, five touchdowns, his longest catch was 45 yards, and averaged 45 yards a game. Um, and 7.6 yards a target. Um, so I, last year was definitely a, a drop-off in production for Demarius Thomas. The Texans took a chance uh, with him, and it just didn't really work out in Houston. In his seven games there, he he had thir- he was only targeted 33 times. That was 23 receptions, 275 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and 8.3 yards per target. So – Really, things just did not work out. Demarius Thomas really didn't have a great year last year, and I don't think he's worth $6 million. But that's not the point. You know, did they overpay him a little? Maybe. I mean, not by a whole lot either. But Demarius Thomas is more of a downfield threat. Tom Brady is horrible at the long throws. So it just doesn't make sense. I When I meant outside the numbers receiver, I meant someone who can kind of stretch the field for you a little, someone who can catch those, you know, you know, 10-yard passes outside, you know, outside the numbers, or kind of like your Josh Gordon. I mean, when I say downfield, even just 15 yards, but Demarius Thomas is downfield, like downfield. And that's not where Tom Brady, Tom Brady always like overthrows or underthrows, and it's not really a good throw. Tom Brady is a high-percentage quarterback that goes like, you know, in the divots and throws these short to medium passes and just hits on them all day. He never really throws downfield. And when he does, it doesn't end well. We've seen it with, like, Philip Dorsett and all these guys. It just doesn't really work for him. So, I mean, Demarius Thomas wasn't really the guy I was thinking of. But I don't mind it either. You still need to draft a receiver very high. I mean, they've drafted all these middle-round guys, and I'm okay with them doing their homework. 
Um, which it seems like they haven't. Bill Belichick just seems to be lounging on the beach. Uh, and it, it seems like he didn't even know free agency happened because we didn't do anything. Guys were leaving. No one was coming here. But um, we should do more homework and try to hit on, like, a fifth, fourth-round pick for a receiver. We still need to pick one of those top receivers in that, like, first, second round. We need to spend one of our top three picks on a receiver. And it has to be a guy outside the numbers. Because Demarius Thomas is 31 years old. He's beat up last year. You know, he just screams one-year rental. I don't know why. He just screams that one-year rental of the Patriots sign. Like, they're he could either end up being, like, their Jordan Matthews, where he'll end up just getting cut at training camp, or he'll just kind of be quiet. Just have a kind of quiet year. Ends up getting hurt or something, probably. I mean, that's kind of what he just screams to me, um, to be honest with you. Um, just had an off year last year, and he's definitely, you know, on the decline. I don't think he's worth $6 million, but that's not the big picture. I don't think this was the guy. I think you still should have gone after a different guy. I'm glad they did something. I am glad they did something. And I, I'm not hating on Demaryius Thomas. I don't think Demaryius Thomas was the worst option here either. It gives you a big receiver. So there's pros and there's cons. I think there were better options, but there were worse ones as well. You still need to invest one of your top three picks in a receiver and do your homework and try to hit on one of those like underrated sleeper fifth-round picks, fourth-round picks. You have a lot of picks in this draft. So I'd like to see one or two be invested in the wide receiver position. I'd like to see another one invested in the tight end position. And there's a lot of things. But luckily, we have a lot of picks. This is a huge draft for Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has to prove himself as a GM because he struggled, especially in the first round. And not only that, but he has to really do his homework and hit on most of these picks because these are big picks. If he can hit on four out of the six um Top six picks. Your top six picks are in the first to third round. If you hit on four of those, four of those players end up being solid contributors. I'm happy. And then you can get a few other steals, you know, one or two more in the draft. That's nice. Six contributors out of your like 11 picks, I think. I like that. I like that a lot. So that's kind of what I'm aiming for here. You're not going to hit on every pick. Just not going to happen. It's just you can't expect that. You just can't. But we can, you know, hope that Bill Belichick again, I've said this word too many times now, last time, hopefully, does his homework and really scouts these guys well uh, like he usually does. But, again, he usually drafts well later in the draft, but the beginning of the draft is just not his – not his cup of tea. It just doesn't seem like it. I think he's an overrated GM, but still probably top five. Um, but that's not the point. Uh, Colin, what do you guys think of the Marius Thomas signing for the Patriots? What do you think about the Russell Wilson signing? What do you think about anything we're going to talk about today? Anything you want me to talk about? Anything that's on your mind? That's that's fine. Um, but again, I, I'm all right. I'm, eh. You know, there's, there's the pros, there's the cons. It weighs out like an eh signing. I, I wasn't. I wasn't jumping out of my seat when I saw they did this. I was like, oh, they signed a Mary Thomas. Thought about it for a minute. Eh. But at least we did something. So, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on the Demarius Thomas signing. Now we're going to get to the Red Sox. Um, so, yeah, let's get to that. Okay, so currently the Boston Red Sox, which we haven't really talked a lot about the Red Sox in the past, so we're going to kind of mostly go over their game against the Yankees today and pick them apart, but then go over their past, the past few games, go a little uh, back in time, if you will. Um, so today, the um, Red Sox are starting the top of the ninth inning. 
They're losing eight nothing at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees are six and nine. You are six and eleven. And Chris Sale pitched today. This was a big game for Chris Sale and the Red Sox. Get momentum and beat up on your rival uh, with Chris Sale on the mound. Chris Sale went on to pitch five innings, let up seven hits, four earned runs, a walk, six strikeouts. Bad. It was bad. It was bad. It wasn't horrendous. It wasn't his worst start, but it's bad, and I really didn't see much improvement. I liked the six strikeouts in five innings. Um, you know, Usually you come to expect a little more than that from Chris Sale, but of late, I mean, I'll take six strikeouts in five innings from really any Red Sox pitcher at this point. I'll take six strikeouts overall in a game for the Red Sox. Uh, he let up seven hits in five innings uh, and a walk, so f- eight, eight base runners with six strikeouts. Eight base runners, only four of them scored in five innings. That's bad. It, it's it's a little better than his previous starts, but not by a whole lot. I see slight improvement, which I guess I'll take at this point. But this Red Sox team is struggling. Right now and currently in this game, Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr. have your two hits, and Mookie Betts has a walk. You've had three base runners this whole game. Three base runners. The person that came out of the bullpen is Erasmo Ramirez. I have no clue who that is. Three innings pitched, let up four hits, all of them scored, along with the walk and one strikeout. He did not do so good. Whoever Erasmo Ramirez, probably from the AAA because we have no one else to pitch out of that bullpen, came in and pitched you three innings and not very good ones. Not very good three innings. On the other hand, the Yankees have 11 hits. Okay, 11 hits along with two walks, overall 13 base runners, and their pitching has been phenomenal. James Paxton, eight innings pitched, only let up two hits and a walk and 12 strikeouts. James Paxton absolutely lit you up, and now Joe Harvey is coming into the game to close it out for an easy save at Yankee Stadium. Um, Bad game. Again, when are we going to be able to put these pieces together? Today, nothing. You didn't pitch well your bullpen, your starting pitching, or your bat. Nothing went well today. But I feel like in some of these games, you really – I don't know. I, I don't know what to say at this point. You really um, <laughs> just haven't been able to put it together still. So uh, right now, actually, we are going to look back a little bit in time at the uh, Red Sox past few games um, because we haven't gone over those. So let's go back a little in time. Okay, we are now back at Tuesday, April 9th. It's the date of the Red Sox home opener when they lost 7-5. to um, The bats in this game weren't bad, but your pitching was. They went through Chris Sale, only survived four innings, and you went through... Six bullpen pitchers. Your pitching couldn't get going. You let up 10 hits for seven earned runs. And this was just one of many examples this season of how we couldn't put our whole game together. Either the pitting's good and the pitching's bad, or the pitching's good and the hitting's bad, or both are just bad. I've seen like one or two games where both are good. Then the next game, we actually won. I won't lie, the Red Sox got super lucky this game when we won 7-6 to six, um, on Thursday, April 11th. We got very lucky with the 7-6 to six win over the Blue Jays. Uh, we ended up having a two-run ninth inning uh, after they scored a run in the eighth. Um, 
And this was just a game where we kind of got lucky. Their pitching was not uh, fantastic, but neither was yours. Avaldi didn't really have a great game. So now all of a sudden we have used 10 bullpen arms in the past two games, past three days technically, which isn't always a great thing. Um, so it just shows how our starters are also burning out our weak bullpen. Our bullpen's already weak enough, and just in a two-game span against the Blue Jays, we have to use 10 bullpen players to barely squeak out one win. Then we go to Friday for uh, April 12th against the Orioles. The Red Sox win 6-4, to four, and at this point, they now improve their record to 5-9. and nine. Uh People are starting to think, you know what, maybe the Red Sox are getting back on track because this is two straight wins. They kind of got lucky against the Blue Jays, and this game wasn't exactly a uh, cakewalk either. You scored two runs in the eighth to take a two-run lead, uh, to take a four-run lead, but then the Orioles cut into that deficit with two more runs in the ninth, but eventually you retired the side uh, Ryan Brazier did and got the job done. But you went through four... um, you went through, excuse me, four bullpen pitchers. But that was okay. Eduardo Rodriguez pitched one of, if not the best, starting, uh, the start best job any starting pitcher has done for the Red Sox. And this was one of the best games Eduardo Rodriguez has pitched, I think, of his life. And that I've really ever seen him pitch. He picked six and two-thirds of an innings, only allowing three hits, which came in for two earned runs, no walks, and eight strikeouts. He really commanded up on the mound. And... This was one of those games where we meshed everything together. The bullpen was all right. Uh, Matt Barnes only came in to close out that uh, seventh inning. Uh, But really, the only one that struggled was Tyler Thornburg. Brazier, Barnes, and Workman all got the job done. So your bullpen was solid. Um, your starting pitcher was very well, and your bats got together. So this is one of those few games where people were like, all right, now they're on a two-game winning streak, and they put everything together. This could be the turning point to the Boston Red Sox. But then, the next day, we lose 9-5, to and everything seems to crumble back down. Um, I remember uh, watching this game. It seems like it was just yesterday, but it wasn't. Uh, we went through five bullpen guys. It seems like I see the same names every single time. Um, by this point, I think Marcus Walden has pitched the past five games. Uh, this game, two innings. I don't even know how his arm is still holding up. But this game, we could only muster six hits, but it got us five runs, which should usually be a good amount. But Porcello couldn't find his game, only pitching four innings, uh, let up six hits, three earned runs, five walks, which is ridiculous, and two strikeouts. Something also to know going into that game, Porcello only had one more strikeout than he did walks. So currently right now, Porcello has allowed more walks than he has strikeouts. His command just has not been there. And Porcello is someone who likes to live on the edge of the strike zone. And this season, he just hasn't been able to find those pinpoint spots. And it's cost him a lot of walks. Uh, And it's to the point where I'm thinking we might want to sit one of these guys. Then, all right, we have a bad game, but then Sunday we bounce back well. Four to nothing win. Our bats were not going crazy. We only scored four runs on seven hits, but it was enough to get the job done. Our pitching was fantastic. David Price came in and pitched seven innings, only allowed three hits on seven strikeouts. Three base runners, no runs. And David Price had a very, very good game and a bounce-back performance. Uh, if you didn't know, this season he's pitched nine, uh, only three games. Um and overall has survived at least six innings every game. So, so far, ZRA is only 3.79. Uh, that's 
that's acceptable, I guess, for David Price. Uh, but this was actually a uh, solid game for you. I'll give you that. Uh, overall, a well-played uh, game of baseball for sure. Only one error. Um, and I'd say your best player in this game was probably Xander Bogarts. Had uh, all your RBIs, two hits, a run, three at-bats. Now, all right, so we're sitting here saying to ourselves, all right, we have now won what? We have now won three of our four last games. We are three and two at home. Three and two at home. We're three and one the past four games. Let's go take business of the against the Orioles. Now this was just yesterday, or at least when I'm filming this. And the Red Sox starting to get on a little bit of a roll, and then all of a sudden we lose eight to one. We just totally fell apart. Just totally fell apart. Hector Velasquez was our starting pitcher. That's where we were. Hector Velasquez, if you didn't know, technically is a bullpen arm. But he came in and was only allowed, only pitched three innings because he's technically a half starter, half bullpen. Two hits, four walks, one earned run, one strikeout. That's not wowing. Not too many hits, but all those walks, six base runners in three innings, not very good. And so then we used five more bullpen arms. Again, I will say in some of these games, some of these guys that pitched only pitched like for an out or two, to get an out or two. But in this game, uh, who came in next? Marcus Walden, who's like literally pitched like every game, it seems like. Two innings. Colton Brewer came in to pitch an inning. Brandon Workman for an inning. Keith Hembry for an inning. Then Tyler Thornburg for an inning. And you got absolutely blown out. We are making all these pitchers pitch a whole inning. All of these guys just to get through a blowout loss to the Orioles. And now we come back to today, where you are currently losing. Well, you just lost eight to nothing officially to the New York Yankees. So you you have been outscored sixteen to one by two teams with losing records in the past two games. One team's literally disabled, and one team is literally tanking and is known for the whole Chris Davis thing. Whatever. But I mean, they're just they played inconsistently this year. Some games they put it all together, some games one side crumbles, and some games both side crumbles. It's just horrible. Can we get on track, please? I don't know if we can. And I'm starting to get nervous. We're sitting at the bottom of the standings at 6-12 and 12, with a winning percentage of 3, uh, 0.3333. It keeps going on. So we're winning 6-12. Um, and 12, I mean, it's pretty easy math. We win one of every three games. So every series, we end up taking one game. Every three-game series. At home, we're three and three. On the road, we're three and nine. So, uh, yeah, last ten, we're four and six, which is better than the Blue Jays and Orioles. But I mean, we sit up here and say the Rays have been on a roll this season at twelve and four. The Yankees are starting to pick up their pace a little bit again. Uh, at five and five, they're, they're still getting through injuries. I don't think we can. You know, the Yankees they concern you about the injuries, but they're starting to get on pace a little. And again, the injuries. The Orioles are and the Blue Jays are finally you know three and seven. They're starting starting to cool off a little, I guess, because they sh- they should be bad. But the Red Sox just can't really find their rhythm. They are playing a little better than they did at the beginning of the season, but how much better really? Not much. Not much really at all. Um, so really, I just want to see them. Take the next game against the Yankees because then we're in Tampa Bay for a three-game series. This is only a two-game series against the Yankees. Tomorrow, 6.35, um, we are going to – I don't know. Um, but 
I hope, hopefully we can win because at this point we're 18 games into the season and you're still six and 12. You still, you're still struggling. Um, so it's to the point where we have to start. I, I don't want to say it, but panicking. If we lose tomorrow, we have to start panicking because going up against a hot race team is not good. We need some momentum, and it needs to start tomorrow. We need to forget about last year, focus at the task at hand, get the job done tomorrow, feel real good about ourselves, all right, and ride some momentum into Tampa, take two or three of those games, and play just good baseball. Play good baseball. Play good focused baseball all together. Very good game, and I'll be happy. And hopefully then we can carry that on. I just want to see some consistency with this team because all of a sudden, like that Eduardo Rodriguez game, oh, it's great, and then we lose, and then we, you know, we have an all right game and we win, and then most of our wins haven't even been that good this year. Um, I'll look at all our wins, and I won't go in all depth on them, but uh, here are all of our uh, wins this season. We beat, um, we beat. Let me see. We beat the Mariners that second game of the season. That was, uh, you know, a comeback. I'll say that was a – that was all right, I guess. Then we faced the Athletics, um, which was – what? which one was it? One of the first two games – I forget now. I already forget the beginning of the season. One of those first two wins that you had was an absolute fluke because they're – I'm pretty sure it was against the Mariners. The Mariners, yeah, the Ma- the Mariners was, um, was it the one? It was one of, one of those first two games. I'm sorry, I forget. But I remember, one of those first two games was an absolute fluke. You shouldn't have even won it. The starting pitcher is basically disabled. Um, so, one of those first two games, I forget which one it is, though, unfortunately. Then you beat the Diamondbacks one to nothing, which was literally, you, you only had five hits. So, that game was, you're starting pitching... Really, just your whole bullpen. Hector Velasquez started. Um, your whole, you know, basically bullpen just carried you to that victory. But overall, one nothing game every once in a while doesn't doesn't kill. You beat the Blue Jays seven to six. I will say that one was lucky. Um, you beat the Orioles four to um, four to six. Um, this one was very well earned. I love this win. Uh, that one I'm totally fine with. Eduardo Rodriguez pitched very well. Then he beat the Orioles for nothing. Uh, we already went over some of these games. Uh, I, again, a very uh, well-earned get a win. Um, and then that's it. Not not much to talk about there. So um, that's kind of recapping the Red Sox uh, since their home opener because we really haven't talked about them a lot. So there, you got your like uh, 12 minutes of Red Sox talk. Uh, in. Call in if you want. Uh, whatever. Is it time to start uh, ringing the sirens? Is it time to press the panic button on this Red Sox team? Or should we give them a little more time? Uh, because I think it's it, it's just about time at this point. Um, because I thought, all right, you know, we'll get back home. We'll get through that stupid ring ceremony. And finally, we'll get put last year behind us. It's been a you know good seven games now, and we still don't have last year behind us. I feel like we're still living in last year, and it's starting to really get to these guys and it's starting to realize reality. Again, Alex Cora. Last year was too easy for Alex Cora. This year he's finally facing criticism and t- tough decisions, and they're finally facing losing, and Alex Cora doesn't know what to do because he never experienced this. He thinks that, you know, that first year was that easy. can only get better, right? No, 
you, there's no way it can get any easier than it did last year. So, um, yeah, that's my uh, little spiel on the Red Sox. So, um, now we are going to touch up mostly just on the Tampa Bay uh, – not Tampa Bay, jeez. I, I, I will say a fun fact about the Tampa Bay series is that Columbus Blue Jackets fans could not bring brooms into the uh, into their stadium um, to uh, for game four for us safety reasons, apparently. Um, but we're not going to be talking about the Lightning. But right now, the Lightning are losing 4-3 to three to the Blue Jackets with 13 minutes left. If they get swept... What a disappointment. But we're just going to be talking about the Bruins game three mostly and kind of the rest of the series. I'm not going to recap it like I just did with the Red Sox, but touch up on my thoughts on game three. So, yeah, let's get to that. Okay, so as most of you know, last night the Bruins suffered a tough three to two loss in Toronto to set them back two to one in the series. So they are losing two to one in the series to the Maple Leafs with game four in Toronto. They won a big game two. So, first of all, my first takeaway going into game four is that the Bruins know how to respond. They just did. Game one was not good, and game two they responded. Now they got to respond again, can they? So last night's game, Tuka Rask was solid last night. Okay, he was solid. You face 34 shots, you get 31 saves. I watched most of the game. Um, only three goals allowed. He was solid last night. I don't think he was spectacular, but he was solid. Then there's Frederick Anderson who has been spectacular. I'd say maybe the best player in this series. He faced 36 shots and saved 34. Faced a few more shots than Tuca did, let in one less. Uh, Frederick Anderson has been absolutely phenomenal in basically every game in this whole series. Even game three, uh, game two, um, even game two, which was the one um, where the Bruins won... um, excuse me, uh, 4-1, to one. he wasn't even bad in that game. Uh, 41 shots he faced. He was not bad. That Maple Leafs team, they have very young, fast, great offense. Uh, offense. And Frederick Anderson isn't, isn't even a great goalie. But here's the thing with the Maple Leafs. I'll just rephrase that because I said it cor- incorrectly. Very fast um, offense, very good offensively, but they don't have a great defense, and Frederick Anderson isn't a great goalie, but he's been great, phenomenal in the series. I can't even lie. Uh, I like Charlie Charlie Coyle has stepped up in this series. He had uh, one of your goals, and David Krejci had the other. But let me just say this thing that I found out about the um, Bruins line. The Bruins' first line. So last year they went to a seven-game series and beat the Maple Leafs, and this season they played three games. So you faced in the past two series that you faced the Maple Leafs, that's a total of 10 games. You are currently 5-5 five and five against them. The Bruins' first line in wins, I think, had 19 goals and 25 assists. Something close to that. Where they had over, I think, close to 40 points at least. And you want to know what? And that's in five games. That's in five wins. They had, like, actually, I think they had, like, close to 35-40 points. I forget which one it was, but this is the stat that you really need to know. All you all you know is that in the five games, they're stunning whenever they win. In losses, in those five losses that they've had, they've had a total of one goal and one assist. So when the Bruins win, that first line absolutely destroys. But when they lose, that first line is crickets. And that's the best line in hockey, apparently. Crickets. Absolute crickets last night from that line. Uh, 
They're, the Maple Leafs are clearly attacking David Pasternak, by the way. So here's what the Bruins might have to do. Might have to do this. Put Pasternak down on the second line and make the Maple Leafs decide this. Are we going to still attack Pasternak or are we going to attack Bergeron and Marchand? Because if you go after Pasternak, Bergeron and Marchand are going to destroy you. But if you go after Bergeron and Marchand, if you decide, you know what, we're going to go after them, Pasternak can light things up on that second line. You gotta make them decide what's gonna be better, and really, it's not a it's not a great decision because both aren't great. Uh, uh, both are good options, but that's the problem. You can only really choose one. And sure, you're saying they're on the you know ice different times. It's just not how it works um, all the time. Um, but they they're clearly attacking David Pasternak. Uh, also, I feel like these speed Zendaya Charo's not really been very good at all uh, in this series. Um, and he, I feel like the Maple Leafs are making him look really old. They're really exploiting his age because Charles had a very good year. But I feel like these fast wingers are making uh, Char look slow on the ice. I've seen that. It's just he looks slow. He looks old. Like, he's just retired. Even the center, the whole offensive line, uh, their whole offensive unit is just so quick. They ain't fast. They make Char, those old guys like Char look slow. I also want to point out in this series – you want to know who has the worst plus minus? Patrice Bergeron at minus three. So he has not had a very good series at all. Uh, Bergeron stat the stats these series. Uh, if I, if I, I don't even know if I, I'll be able to find it. But he, all right, in these playoffs, he's played three games with two goals, no assists, um, and twelve shots. So, 12 shots, 2 goals is alright. But, no assists. He only has 2 points in 3 games, which isn't isn't Patrice Bergeron. But not even that. Alright, you sit here and say, alright, his offense hasn't been great. But his defense has not been good either. This is one of the best two-way players in hockey. Only has 2 points in 3 games and has not been good defensively. Negative 3 plus minus on the first line. And, I mean, yeah, sure he's facing the other team's first line, but that just surprises me. I've expected more out of Patrice Bergeron. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, I, you know, can Bergeron bounce back maybe if you put Pasternak uh, on that second line? Something like that. Something has to change, I think. I really liked um, putting Bacchus in game two. I'm pretty sure he played game three as well. Let me check. Uh, but I forget. I didn't really see him on the ice a lot. But in game two, I love that because in game one, they just, the Bruins were not physical. Um, so in game two, I loved when Bruce Cassidy said David Backus was going to play because Backus is a leader as well. Backus is kind of like an in-your-face, not really in-your-face, but is you know, kind of close to it, uh, of a leader. Um, yeah, Backus did play. got five shots on goal, which is crazy. But Backus brings a physical game and a leadership role. And I mean, Char and Bergeron, I love them, but they're not – they're leaders, but are they really verbal leaders? Kind of like this, kind of quiet. Not really Bacchus, though. Bacchus is, he shows it out on the ice, shows that intensity. I love putting Bacchus in there. It gave you that physical aspect of the game that I think you really need against that Maple Leaf scene that was trying to play a physical brand of hockey as well. Um, so I really like that move. But w- what are they going to need to change? Because I think they need to change something and kind of catch the Maple Leafs a little off guard. I mean, Mike Babcock's a good coach. I think he's a little overrated, but... Bruce Cassidy's been good as well, and I like the day. I like the uh, David Backus move, and I like some of the moves he's made. He hasn't been perfect, but 
most of the season as well. He's seemed to hit every magical button with this team. So, you know, we'll see. What can they do? Uh, now there's 9 minutes, 53 seconds, and the Lightning are still down a goal in uh, Columbus. If Blue Jackets can pull off that upset and the Bruins can win, that would be great facing them in the second round. As I, I said I like that Blue Jackets team. I said, you know, that Matt Duchesne, like, after they made those trades, they were going to give the Lightning a little bit of a run for their money. But I still picked the Lightning. I just said it. I told you guys uh, on my when I talked uh, with Sean. Uh, we did that one. I told you that Columbus Blue Jackets team could really give the Lightning a, a run for their money. So, um, yeah, that's all about all I have for you guys today. So, um, hopefully we can talk. Uh, maybe we'll see the Lightning get upset, whatever. Oh, we'll do, I don't know, we'll do next episode. You never know what happens in sports. A ton of news comes in. We'll see what we'll do next episode. Uh, maybe we'll be joined by Colin, uh, whatnot. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, please, if you did not check out my last episode, I highly recommend it. It was a very uh, fun episode. It's a good listen. I listened to it. It was actually pretty fun to listen to, having all these different opinions, and it was a good one. Uh, going over the whole off season, gotten some uh, good talks and arguments and whatnot. So uh, also, Anchor Mobile app. Type in after the buzzer to get the Anchor Mobile app. Type in after the buzzer sports talk, uh, and send in a voice message, please. Uh, you can also listen, I think, on there too. So um, yeah, thank you. Guys for listening so much and I'll uh yeah definitely see you next time